This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna f***ing It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 107 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. I'm joined by, I don't know, just two of the best people out there. Just, you know, down-to-earth, hard-working individuals, great personalities. You know, of course, I'm talking about Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. Guys, how are we? Oh, geez, I thought I was getting replaced. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, who, who did Brian find for new podcast? What the hell? I think we're... I mean, I think we just weren't expecting him to be that nice to us. You can't I know, especially given everything he was just saying right before we, we hit the air. It was, like, it was brutal. He was just dressing us down. Yeah, yeah. But when the cameras cop, are on, bad, really, when the cameras turn on, I'm really nice. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very two-faced. Um, but anyway, summer, summer is, is, the calendar is flipped from August to September. So, you know, you got the pumpkin spice lattes. I know Scott's had about four of them already today. Um, I saw him shotgunning one My on favorite. Twitter. Yeah. Um, Pumpkin spice tea right now. There you go. I actually had some pumpkin spice oatmeal earlier. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're that we're we're a pro pumpkin spice podcast because every year I feel like like the pumpkin spice hate is like so over the top and ridiculous. It's like, listen, yeah, I'm gonna drink pumpkin spice coffee in August. You know why? Because I like it. Because it tastes great. <laughs> you know, if you if you don't like, you can just not get it. Like no one's. It's not like like no one's walking in and like forcing you to chug pumpkin spice lattes like yep you know sort of your normal coffee it's fine no i couldn't agree more and that's probably that's probably why we all get along so well yeah exactly well the problem is people don't like they don't like when people force fall because it's you know it, the, the people that force fall in, in in august you know it's obviously letting them know that their summer is winding down you know what i mean so and they don't like that very much but we enjoy it because it means that we're getting closer to hockey season so you know now that the calendar has turned to september not only does Scott get to have his favorite flavor coffee, but the Bruins start training camp. And as we were talking about before the podcast, we actually don't know the specific date, but I think it's like the third week of September, like the 20th or 21st. And hockey's around the corner, so we're getting excited for that now. Yeah, we know Bruins' first preseason game is September 24th. Usually training camp starts like that week leading up to it, so I'm guessing the 19th, 20th, but possible it's like the week before, I guess. But anyways, yeah, either way, we're – Kind of getting within like that that two week range now of uh, actually seeing the Boston Bruins on the ice, getting ready for the season. Yeah, and right now their roster is is just massive because they haven't technically like made their final decisions for anything. So I was like pre show looking at it, and there's just about a million people on this Bruins roster right now. Um, yeah, so we're still we're still at that point where. If you scroll way down the list of the of the left wingers, I'm actually on there somewhere. <laughs> oh, see. Yeah, Scott has the. Uh, oh, all right, Scott McLaughlin. Yeah. Scott, yeah, Scott's the picture with the. Uh, it's like the blank head template with the question yeah, it's, mark in it's the just middle. Yeah, the white cutout. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's actually their top prospect um, under 23. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so look, I guess we'll just dive into it. I mean, I, we didn't really we didn't really prep this question, but we might as well we might as well go into it. it what what what's a storyline you're looking you're looking to follow? Um, anxiously looking to follow as 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 training camp and preseason starts. I mean. I guess there's one obvious answer, right? What happens with Fabian Lysel? But I mean, beyond that, yeah. is there anything like not so surface level that maybe you, you had your eyes on? Well, for me, I think uh, how is the top? I guess we know how the top six is going to look to start because Jim Montgomery told Gresham Keefe that, you know, he's thinking Hall, Krejci, Pasternak, Zaka, Bergeron, DeBrus. But I'm interested to see if there's any shuffling within that. Like, is it, okay, this is what. I want, this is what I envision using on opening night. So we're going to go with this and stick with it and like run with that for, you know, two weeks and multiple preseason games. Or is there some juggling there? You know, does Pasternak get a shot with Bergeron? Does Zaka go with Krejci and Pasternak at some point? Does Fabian Lysel get reps with those guys? You know, because Montgomery also said in that interview that he feels like if Lysel is going to break camp with the NHL team, it probably has to be on one of those top two lines. Like that's that's just the role where his skill set fits. It's not a bottom six role. So does he get reps there, or is it like is Lysel gonna have to prove himself? You know, somewhere else playing on a line with rookies, and then okay, maybe if you have a couple really good preseason games, we might get you in there a, a little bit. Or does or does he try him there? You know, in and out early on in camp. Yeah, I, I want to see what he looks like next to Bergeron because Montgomery was actually kind of alluding to the fact like if we put him next to our best center, our like our our center that can, you know, set him up for success the most, what does he look like? I know they'll want to get looks at him in that area in preseason. So what he looks like next to Bergeron could give them their best idea of maybe what his ceiling could look like. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see, but then obviously they would have to, um, you know, move to brusque or, or however they decide to shuffle it. But seeing him next to Bergeron could be could be interesting because you have, you know, such a veteran guy with him uh, kind of directing him where he needs to get for Montgomery and everyone to see maybe what things would look like if you did have him with uh, on a line with at least one veteran player, um, if he could be counted on in that situation. I think for me, there's a couple. Um, I really I, I'm really excited to see Krejci. Um you know, back in the spoke to be, and even though it's preseason, um, I'm just, you know, I want to see if I notice any any setbacks in his game, um, which again, if he does have setbacks, it won't be necessarily against people trying to make the NHL in preseason, but it would be later on. But nonetheless, I want to see him, and um, and yeah, and, and I want to see if 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 Lindholm can can command the back end without McAvoy. I mean, he was kind of the guy. Um, in Anaheim, uh, you know, not, not the greatest team in the world, but they had some good defensemen. I mean, Cam Fowler and Lindholm and, uh, you know, Josh Manson and, you know, Jamie uh, Drysdale was out there as well. So he was, you know, he was the guy back there. Um, he's going to have to be that guy for the first few months in Boston um, this year. And so I kind of want to see him grab the bull by the horns, you know, right away in preseason, um, you know, and show that he can be, a, you know, a, a viable, you know, 1B for, for the first few months. Yeah, I think – just thinking about the the up front for now, like I'm also really interested in what the fourth line looks like. You know, I think we know the third line is probably going to be Coyle, Smith, and then eventually Zaka to start. You know, maybe it's Frederick or Felino. But I, I want to see like, is there a real competition for jobs at the bottom of the roster? 
especially up front. We know on defense with McAvoy and Grizzly out, like there's openings there. But up front, like, is it just, is it going to be assumed that, okay, Felino, Nosek, Frederick have opening night lineup spots? Or do those guys have to earn it? And does a Mark McLaughlin or an Oscar Steen or Johnny Beecher, like, do those guys have real shots to win opening night roster spots? Or is it only like, if one of those guys has the camp of their life, maybe it becomes a conversation, you know, you know, so like just are, are those spots already settled just because guys have NHL contracts and played there last year, or is there a real chance for someone to beat those guys out? Well, my thoughts on that are just that like, there's got to at least be one spot open. Um, Lazar is, you know, he's decided in free agency to sign elsewhere. Um, and he was a big piece on that line. He was there pretty much every night. Um, and so you have no stick in the middle, most likely of that line. And then to me, you're looking to fill Lazar's spot on the right wing or Felino. I don't think Felino has a guarantee on that line. I don't think he should have a guarantee on that line, despite the contract. Obviously, they're in a weird situation with him. If he's not the best player, in that left spot on the fourth line, I think that position should be up for grabs too. Yeah, I mean, just to 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 build on what you guys were just saying about the fourth line, I think Don Sweeney mentioned uh, somebody had asked him about Fabian Lysel, um, I don't know, two months ago or so, and he pretty much said, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna not let the best players make the team out of camp, and I guess I'm just curious when it comes to the fourth line, if he's going to stay true to that, that statement, like, are you, are you, if Johnny Beecher does look better than Nick Foligno or if Oscar Steen looks better than, you know, Trent Frederick, like, are you gonna, are you gonna play the guys that are, that are better showing that they're better, more, more capable to do the job? Or are you going to pay the guys who, you know, already have their contract penciled in on the one way? Um, and I hope that's not the case because that's not, you know, again, you want to reward competition. You, like, you don't want to just hand guys, be, you know, you don't want to just, re, you know, put somebody in a situation because you decided a year or two ago that you want to bring them in for a contract. Like, that's that's your mistake from the past, and you, you can rectify it by making the right decision later on. And it might mean a buyout. It might mean burying somebody in Providence, but you got to swallow some pride. I think for Don Sweeney, yeah, Nick Foligno is a guy he brought in. Um is a younger player not going to take over for him if they deserve it because you 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 don't want to make your last offseason look worse. Um don't I hope that's not the case. Well, and and here's a guy who doesn't want management to forget about him. Chris Wagner uh came in at the end of the season and he's, you know, he pretty much played none of last season except for at the very end and was, you know, working his ass off, never gave up. Does he have a chance to maybe claw his way back in? Obviously, he's in his 30s now. Um, and if he didn't make the team last year, you wonder, you know, if he's really the best option this year. But I know he's somebody who's going to be working his ass off for that spot. So you're looking at the younger players. Um, and you're also keeping an eye on maybe Chris Wagner because he does bring something that some of the younger guys might not be able to bring, which is just, um, you know, his physicality and his willingness to do whatever the team needs him to do. So it's just, they do have a lot of options for that fourth line. And I, I, Wagner usually plays on the right side, which is an open position right now. Um, So there is, I think there is going to be a lot of competition for that left and right wing 
sides. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't think Felina automatically should get it. Uh, whether or not Sweeney sees it that way, I don't know. But it's it doesn't make any sense to me if Felino is not looking like the best option to not let someone else have a shot. Well, yeah, and and Jim Montgomery is going to have a lot of say in that. And, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see, like, what kind of style he's looking for, what kind of identity he wants on a fourth line. Because, you know, if you want the identity, like, if he wants a physical fourth line, then you probably could stick with the veterans, like throw Felino and Wagner on the two wings and they'll go around and bang people around. Or does he want more skill there? And, and that might mean giving some of these younger guys a shot. Like, you know, we don't, we don't really know yet. Like we, we know, you know, what his Dallas teams looked like, but those, that, that was a roster he inherited, right? Like he didn't really get uh, much of a chance to like really shape, like he came in, and then the second year, you know, he only lasts a month. So it's not like he had a ton of time to, like, really shape that team. Um, he had kind of inherited that roster, and they had some younger guys coming in. But, you know, there could be an opportunity for him to shape at least that part of it, right? Like, he's not – I don't think Montgomery is going to have, you know, a huge say in, like, top six personnel because we already know who those guys are. Um, but at the bottom of the roster, he might. If he – you know, if he says – goes to Don Sweeney and says, like, I really think the best thing for this team is getting younger, faster, more skilled at the bottom of the forward lineup. Like, what it, Sweeney can't say no. Like, you can't hire a coach and then be like, no, you don't get to play the kind of team that you want. You know what I mean? Like, that – but for all we know, he might, he might like those veteran en- energy guys. Like, that might be something that he thinks is worth going into the season with and, uh, you know, giving that some run before – you know, maybe reevaluating a couple of months into the season. Yeah, and I think that's another thing to look at in preseason too. Is um, can you spot the can you spot the difference in how in how a Bruce Cassidy team plays fundamentally versus a Jim Montgomery? Um, you know, can you do you notice some different forechecks and you know more active defense and even in preseason? Um, so those those are some things to look for as well. Um, Bridget, did you have anything else before I th- uh, throw throw Scott a question? Well, uh, just looking at the, just because we're on the topic of, you know, does who maybe slots into the fourth line, would you give, I'll give you four names. Who who do you give them highest chance of, of cracking into that, that fourth line and, and kind of sticking around? Uh, Chris Wagner, Jack Stadnika, Mark McLaughlin, or, oh gosh, now I forget who my... Oh, I guess this one probably not as likely, but Oscar Steen. Well, you know I'm going with McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. But, but I'll say that is actually my answer. Yeah, um, that's actually my answer as well. You know, I think because I think he can do a little bit of like everything I kind of just touched on. Like he, he'll play physical, so he brings that. Um, you know, not the best skater in the world, but does have some offensive skill. We know he has a good shot. Showed that at BC, showed it, you know, his very first game in Boston. He scored, you know, scored a few goals in a little bit of time he got towards the end of the season. Um, and that was something that the, that the fourth line was obviously missing last season was really any sort of goal scoring. Like, even when, you know, like I wrote like late in the season or during the playoffs that like at least the fourth line wasn't giving up much in terms of goals against, which was true. They weren't. They were actually really good in terms of goals against numbers but they weren't scoring anything. Like it was 
the best you could hope for when they got on the ice was like literally nothing happened. Like they didn't give up a goal they didn't score a goal. They just kind of mucked it up, played 30 seconds and got off in the next line game on. But yeah, like, I, if you actually I want like any Nosek, sort of offense. Nosek couldn't like shoot the puck into the ocean last yeah. year. It was <laughs> no, but yeah. So it's like, if you actually want any sort of like offensive pop to me, McLaughlin makes sense as a guy who might have a chance there. And I just think, you know, there's, I assume there's, there's more of an all around package there than with any of those other guys. I mean, like let's let's be honest with Stanika. It's like I think McLaughlin showed more in his little bit of time late last season than we've seen from Stanika at the NHL level at really any point when he's gotten called up. And I still feel like Stanika just isn't a natural fit for that kind of fourth line role. Well, that last thing Scott said is 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 exactly it. Like like when um, when Montgomery mentioned Lysel would. If he were to get a chance, it would be a top six role because that's where he would, you know, his skill set fits. Stanika wouldn't, he wouldn't thrive in a fourth line role. I just, it's not his game. It's just not. Um, so, as to the guys that you mentioned, Bridget, um, yeah, McLaughlin, I think, would be the, the, the leading candidate. And I think that after him, I would say, yeah, I would say Steen and, you know, maybe even a Beecher. I mean, if Johnny Beecher comes in and, and, and you know, shows, Shows himself well. I mean, I, I think that I think that I think the Bruins and Jim Montgomery are going to be open to the idea of, of of getting some youth in that fourth line. I just I think it's it's too obvious that they need it. Um, so I don't see Stanika being a fourth liner. I just don't. And who was the other one? Wagner. I just don't see it for him at this point in his career. I just think that you're better off uh, you're better off going young and just grooming the next wave. And I just think that. You know there are injuries throughout the year, and maybe he's a dark ace like he was last year in the playoffs, and comes up. I don't know, but um, yeah, I would say I would say McLaughlin and Steen over the other two, and I would also throw Beecher in there as well. What about you? I, I think McLaughlin because oh, one thing you said, which is that you know desperately the fourth line could desperately use maybe a little bit of youth and speed. McLaughlin is, you know, same size as Wagner, but I, I do feel like he plays bigger. He's six, he's six foot. He, he plays, you know, he uses his size well. He's quicker. Um, and I think he's still developing, which in my mind is, you know, it, it's a double edged sword. He, he's not 100%, um, you know, acclimated to the NHL, but he's also still has this um, potential that he could reach. So, uh, you know, maybe you haven't, seen the best that, that you can get out of him now after a whole off season and getting him more into your system. I think there's a lot of upside to trying McLaughlin there to start. Um, he's a center, but obviously when he comes in, he's been playing mostly right wing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so he could slot in there. I could also see, yeah. I could also see McLaughlin and Beecher playing a similar style of play that Noel Achari and Sean Corrali offered when they were on your fourth line. Um, you know, and in fact, McLaughlin and Beecher may even be able to provide you more offensive upside, um, you know, as they, as they grow into their careers. But I think that, you know, I, I think that that would be a great change, change of pace for the Bruins. Yeah. And, and both of those guys, you know, they come to you fairly pro ready because of where they played in college, how long they were there, four years for McLaughlin, three for Beecher. 
and like the roles that they played. Like McLaughlin before he elevated to a top line role at BC was in a checking role and like learned all that part of the game. Beecher kind of like almost started at Michigan in a higher role than he ended up, which one is not great in terms of development, but two forced him to learn to play a checking role, which is what he did on a team that went to the frozen four last year. Um, You know, he was sort of like the defensive shifts, penalty killer, key face-offs type role. Um, You know, as far as like what they specifically what Beecher can give you for offense. The one thing I would note there is like, look, you, you see skill in Johnny Beecher and we all know it. Like we know the size, we know the skating, but it just never translated in college. And to your point about Corrali and Achari, Beecher scored at a lower rate than those guys in college. He scored at a lower rate than Trent Frederick in college. Like I'm setting the bar very low in terms of now, look, maybe there's more for him to give and maybe the Bruins are able to work something, you know, with him, get something out of him. But I mean, so far the the production has not even come close to matching like what, what the raw skill set would have you believe his upside is. To, to be devil's advocate about the college thing though, uh, he's playing in a at college hockey is a little different than it was when Sean Crowley went to school. I mean, I feel like there's so much better competition in, in college hockey now that, and even on his own team, there was a lot of guys he was competing with uh, and, you know, for those tops, like a top six role. Um, so I think just in that sense, I'm not sure how much I would look at it and go, okay, he's going to be a lower producer than Sean Corrali because his college numbers were lower. Like Sean Corrali was the guy on that Miami, Ohio team. I mean, I feel like I feel like the Michigan team this past year had four players in the top fifteen picks in their respective drafts. I mean, obviously, you know, you had Kent Johnson, Owen Power, who went first overall. Luke Hughes, I think, was third or fourth overall. Uh, Maddie Beniers was what second overall? First yeah. overall, second overall. He was second, second, yeah, to Seattle. Yeah, who was first that year? Why am I blanking on it? Uh, two years ago, it was. Oh, it was, it was Power. Was it Owen Power? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, because that was the year that Michigan had, like, four yeah. of the top five. And, like, you just yeah. – you, you covered Hughes and then Ken Johnson was the other yeah. one. No, just insane. So, I mean, obviously, like, the last – and he did have he did have injury issues and stuff like that in college. But your point your point is well taken, Scott. And I think that the, the best thing that us as Bruins fans can hope for, and obviously the Bruins themselves, is that perhaps he's one of those players who their game just translates, translates better at the pro level. Um that that's possible too, but so in any whether whether it's him this year or somebody else, though I think we're all in agreement that you know they they need some they need they need an upgrade on the fourth line at least you gotta you gotta have even, even, look, look look when they um when they won the cup and they lost to the Blackhawks like that that era of Bruins like the Merlot line you know you had Danny Pye on there who's a twenty goal scorer in the NHL you know Sean Thornton wasn't known for his for his scoring but he could put you know. He had he had like you know ten goals a year and I'm five, you know seven to ten goals, uh, and Greg Campbell was was a third liner on on, you know Florida before Boston and you know other NHL teams if he wasn't with Boston he could have been a third line center so you just you, you, you don't you know and obviously Nick Foligno has a good track record in the NHL but what we saw last year just wasn't it just wasn't it and we we all think it's gonna be tough for him to get back there so. Um, We've all we've listed a bunch of things I think for training camps to look forward to. Obviously, storylines are going to come out 
uh, as as it as it approaches and and starts up, we'll comment on in real time. But first, Scott, I wanna I wanna throw it to you for some uh, you know maybe a little fantasy, maybe a little football fantasy talk or no? What was it you want to talk about? Well, no. Well, so we were trying to come up with ideas because obviously there's not really a ton going on with with the Bruins right now or the NHL in general. Uh, but I've, I've been in full on fantasy football mode for like the last couple of weeks because, you know, I got I got two serious leagues, two drafts. Like I had to listen to you know get my podcast listening in, you know, do all that, do all my research. And you know, in fantasy football, you're always looking for sleepers, you know, guys that kind of you know get forgotten about you get a good value on them people aren't really talking about them and it got me thinking like are there any not for like fantasy hockey purposes we're not going to turn this into a fantasy hockey podcast but for real life purposes are there any sleepers on the Bruins are there people are there any players on the Bruins that like we're just not really talking about that it turns out could maybe play like some really important roles on this team and uh you know like Help help turn the Bruins in, into a winner because fantasy sports, like you find those late round values, that can go a long way towards uh you know elevating your team to, to title contention. So are there, are there players on the Bruins that like we're just sort of like not really talking about or kind of getting overlooked that could become real key players on this team? Well, I I think that so it's it's hard to pick players that are have been over or are being overlooked because like. No one's overlooking Pasternak, Hall, Crate. Like I, I don't know. Maybe some people are are saying like Krejci's old. I don't know. I've heard some people say that. I personally don't think we're like we need to put him in that category because I think it's going to be, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that what he can bring. Um, you're not putting Bergeron in that category. You're not putting you know McAvoy or, um, but maybe because of the fact that we haven't seen him too much in Boston. Um, Pavel Zaka, and because of the the new change of scenery for him, he could be someone um, that could be somewhat of a sleeper because he has a chance to kind of reestablish himself and maybe um, just boost his stats and and live up a little bit more to the potential of being a number six overall draft pick. So um, with him next to Bergeron, I say, you know, he maybe is someone that people, if they haven't been paying attention this offseason, maybe haven't didn't even know he was on the team or like didn't didn't pay too much attention of where he was going to fit into the lineup. But he could be someone who could um, uh, turn heads a little bit if he's able to bring that next level of play that they're hoping to get out of him when he plays next to Bergeron. I think that's a good answer, Bridget. He's definitely like we've said in the past. He's that when you're trading him one for one for Eric Halla and it's a one year trial, it's a it's a low risk high reward move for them. Um, opportunity to take a, a high drafted player and still young, time to learn, time to grow, and um, what we all think is a better environment for him to probably uh, you know flourish in. Uh, for myself, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with Brandon Carlo, and I know. You know he's not he's been around for a long time right it's going to be his seventh year i think with the bruins and he's only 25 years old though that's the thing and he's he's an old 25 he's a mature 25 he kind of feels like he's been around for a long time and he has but at 25 years old i really still think that it's now or never if he wants to elevate himself to the next point in his career he's had injury issues you know injury issues early on with the, with the concussions and whatnot and i really 
you know, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it could be kind of fun to, you know, poke fun at, you know, some struggling Bruins or players in the league. Like, you know, when when DeBrusque is asked to be traded and Cassidy is going at him in the meet. It's just sometimes it's fun to to pick on somebody if, if they kind of deserve it. And um, but last year I had I took no joy in, in, in criticizing Brandon Carlo to the extent that I did, because I think he's actually a, you know, really good person, a good leader a shirt off his back type of individual and, and you can just tell he's a he's a good he's a good person and I didn't like it but he was he just struggled so so mightily at points last year and the year before and he has so much size to give and he has a mean streak to him that or could have a mean streak to him that I think could really help that Bruins blue line because McAvoy is targeted every single game whether it's preseason regular season or playoffs we've seen it with Grizzly he gets injury prone um, you know, Lindholm, we haven't seen a ton of, but you saw last year in the playoffs, he got his head taken off and he's obviously a talented player, but not the toughest player. Um, Forbert and Clifton, they do their thing, but Brandon Carlo has an opportunity to kind of make a stamp back on that blue line, not as the best defenseman, that's going to be Charlie McAvoy, not as the second best, that's going to be Lindholm. But, you know, can you be that, that backbone and, and, and stick up for your teammates and, and just play a little bit meaner? Um, I think that that would go a long way for him personally. Uh, growing as a player and for the Bruins, because if you look at the Bruins' defense on paper, they actually, like, if you look at McAvoy and Lindholm and then Grizzly and Carlo as a top four unit when they're healthy, that really does stack up against some of the best in the NHL if everybody's playing to their capabilities. And I just think that McAvoy does, Lindholm does, Grizzly does for the most part, but Carlo can bring more. And I think that he actually did have a strong end to the year last year, and I want to see him you know, kind of build on that. And I think the Bruins need him to 25 years old. You're a captain on the team. Um, you know, so I just think it's time for him to kind of, you know, continue that, that step, step forward. Cause it's now, it's now or never for him, I think. Both good answers. Um, so the, the guy that I had in mind when, when I started thinking about this was Mike Riley. Uh, do you guys remember what I, I think our reaction, kind of the general reaction from Bruins fans was, uh, after the Bruins traded for Riley, you know, after his first handful of games or even, you know, to close out that regular season, did like, do you remember like kind of what the feeling about him was? Uh, generally positive, you know, like yeah. that, just that uh, pretty much the, the overall feeling of that trade deadline and the, the, the complete, the complete picture of it with Hall, Lazar and Riley was a very, a very positive, um, you know, uh, assessment of how things worked out. But in particular, he got shots through from the point that the Bruins struggled to that entire season. Um, and, and it was noticeable right one away. One thing I, yeah, yeah. And, and one thing I'll say is I don't know what it was with Cassidy, but Cassidy didn't seem yeah. to be as high on him as pretty much anyone that so, was watching the game. So I'm going I'm to get that. So, okay. um, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was the shots from the point, and it was also him helping in transition, where it was like you would see him moving the puck up to a Marshander Hall, and it's like, well, that, like that's quite the transition game. Like Riley starts it, get up to those guys. Like that's nice. Like Bruins clearly needed that. Then last season, it's like, where did that Mike Riley go? Like what happened? It just never looked the same. He ends up healthy scratched at times. They're trying him on the third pairing. They're trying him like on the right side, and it really never looked right. And to your point, Bridget, it's like for whatever reason, Cassidy clearly didn't seem to trust him or like the way he was playing. And yeah, obviously Riley's part of that. He, he had his own struggles. 
Um, but I'm thinking, and now it's like everyone's everyone's assuming that like once the Bruins are healthy on the back end, like Riley's probably the guy who gets traded. Um, you know, I even saw something to that effect recently um, online, and it's like, what if Jim Montgomery uh, likes Mike Riley? Like, what if their styles mesh and He's not trying to change Riley's game as much as I think Cassidy was trying to. Which, what by the way, looks- would would make sense because of the, of the system that Montgomery wants to implement, where it is about more, um, you know, movement on the back end and and getting shots through. Yeah. So, like, what if there's just a better fit there? And we know Riley's going to get ice time early in the season because McAvoy and Grizzly are out. What if it goes well? Like, what if we see Riley playing freer where? okay, there's not as much of a focus on, you know, taking care of your own end and playing in more defensive situations, which admittedly, like, is not his strength. What if it's, hey, you you have more freedom, you know, get up ice, uh, you know, get involved in the rush more, uh, take more shots, whatever it may be. Um, I could just see a situation where it's like, we're two months in and or, you know, a month in and, like, Grizzly's coming back and it's like, huh, you know what? Maybe Riley should stay higher in the lineup over Grizzly. Like, maybe Riley stays in the top four role and Grizzly ends up on a third pairing, which is a place we've seen him before. You know, I just, I just like, I just don't think we should totally dismiss uh, Riley having a regular spot on this team, a regular spot potential on the second pairing, and maybe, you know, they're not trading him the second McAvoy and Grizzly get back. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I pretty much the entirety of last season, every time I saw, you know, Cassie making a decision to either scratch Riley or, you know, just not just hear him with the negative comments about, you know, maybe something he did or the defense did that you knew was directed at him. Um, I didn't understand it or agree with it because I I just think Riley is, is the kind of player they need on the back end. If they, you know, if, if they pair him, Here's another question too, with with McAvoy and Grizzly Gout. Do you go Riley Carlo, or do you throw Carlo Lynn home? Because hmm. if you if, if you think about it, maybe keeping Riley Carlo together from the beginning of the season could be the way to go. Um, but it depends what you want to do. You know, obviously Grizzly Carlo had been had been a pretty consistent pair, um, but he's going to be gone. So, you know, do you go Riley Carlo? Um, give them both a chance to work together for that first month at least and see how things go with that. Or, you know, are you, are you trying to throw Carlo with with Lindholm um, up on the top pair? I'm probably not doing Lindholm Carlo, but the, the other part of this equation is like someone's going to have to flip from the left to right side because – unless someone surprises, most likely you only have two right shot defensemen uh, to start the season with mm-hmm. Carlo and Clifton until McAvoy gets back. So is it, you know, I don't think Lindholm switching sides. So is it Riley or Zaboral are really the two most likely options. And I think, I think Zaboral's done it a little bit more, but both of them are clearly more comfortable on the left side forward I don't know if he's ever played the right side so one of one of Riley or Zabora I think probably has to flip over and maybe that's who goes with Lindholm is whoever gets flipped to the right side um 
But yeah, I would definitely be tempted to go with Riley Carlo because that's a pairing I could see them rolling with long term. And you know, the same way like we're talking up front of, well, you might as well go well, might as well go Hall, Krejci, Pasternak out of the gate because that's what you envision that being long term. It would be the same idea. Like if you think Riley Carlo could be your second pairing, you know, throughout the season, you might as well start start them together and get that ball rolling. What, what Which also makes for an interesting, uh, just an interesting uh, topic in this as part of this discussion because um, Brian picked Carlo and you picked Riley to be the sleepers and maybe combine on that line together. Yeah, you know, they could they they could uh, both pick up their game, have some sort of a consistent chemistry, and and start looking better than they did last season at certain points. Yeah, and and I would love to see that in that scenario. Would you guys would you guys envision when healthy that Grizzly would be a third pairing defenseman? Which is I'm not I saying that's an issue. That. I'm just, yeah. like, that would have to be the issue. That would have to be the circumstance. Um, um you know, pending a trade. Of yeah, some which sort. which but then makes it for another interesting conversation because then is it Grizzly Clifton as your third pair? What happens to Forber? Like, see, I think I think well, Forber actually. I I actually expect all joking aside. A good year out of him. Um, I think that him being in the system for a year, it's going to be his second year. I think he's going to know his role even better. Uh, and I really don't think he was bad for you last year. I think he kind of did exactly what he was brought in to do. And if they're looking for stability on a third pair, um, you know, you're probably going to get that more out of him than you are Clifton, just because I feel like he plays a more consistent, sound game. He's not going to he's not going to jump off the page, whereas Clifton sometimes will. But he also is erratic and you know, has off nights. So and can sometimes be baited into stuff like get like penalties and Yep. Yeah, teams teams like to target Cliff Clifton and uh maybe and maybe it's him getting under their skin, but they definitely get annoyed with him when they're out there, which is good. Which is good. Um but again and so I think in that scenario I think maybe I think you know Riley and Carlo and in Lindholm and Zaboro, maybe Zaboro playing the opposite side. I do think that because they're going to want balance, you know, out of the gate. You're already down to you know two really good defensemen. Um, obviously, one of them being your best defenseman and one of the best in the league. Um, I just think that I think that they're willing to put Zaboro out there with Lindholm against um, you know some top units, some top top lines, and I think they they trust that Zaboro can play that physical style of game. Not that Riley can't, but I just think that. You know, put him with Carlo and and let Carlo when they're out there deal with some of the physicality and balance. It's not to be balanced out, um, but we'll see. How yeah, it goes. and I also think you know, not to like take a cop out answer, but like a lot of this will almost certainly sort itself out in the sense that, like, if Riley's getting top four minutes, either he's going to play well enough that Jim Montgomery thinks he can keep giving them to him, or he's not, and Riley gets bumped down. If Saboro's playing top four minutes, same thing. Like either he's going to be ready to run with that kind of role, or he's not really ready for it yet. And, um, and the, you know, Forbert, inter- Clifton, like either one of them could struggle and play themselves out of a job essentially. So, you know, if, if everyone plays great and you're like, "Holy crap!" Like, who do I sit when these guys come back? Like, awesome. That's an incredible situation to have as a coach, but. Very unlikely that like all six guys just play great for you know a month and a half. 
the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about that too is that Riley kind of has his own fate in his own hands right now, whereas Grizzly has to sit out and watch. Like Riley has the ability to solidify a role, whereas Grizzly has, has is at a disadvantage in terms of like he might have to just deal with whatever the situation is when he comes back. And it, it, it could mean that Riley already, you know, sealed the spot or, or has made a good case for the spot. Um, so it's, it, it's gotta be really difficult for Grizzly, like obviously wanting his team to, to do well, but knowing that like there, someone's the odd man out <laughs> and you're the one that's injured and, and you're watching and, you know, um, that's going to be a difficult situation for him. Obviously Charlie McAvoy does not have to worry about his position. Like he, as soon as he comes back, he's going to go right next to Lynn home. It's going to be, that's an easy no brainer. Um, you know, that's a hundred percent what's going to happen. So, uh, but it is a little bit going to be a little bit weird for Grizzly knowing he doesn't have that same luxury. Do you guys, um, do you have an early candidate to who might be the odd man out from the roster in general when when they're going to have to make some room from guys coming off IR, presumably? I, I mean, I know we, you guys talked a little bit about how the assumption has been Mike Riley, but what do you guys think? Are you talking about anywhere on the roster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they have to create some room, right, for, yeah. for guys coming off IR. Uh, yeah, Um my, my, I just my thought about the forward group potentially Frederick, um, because if they it, when they get Marshawn back, they have to push Zaka, you know, back out of the top six. Maybe he goes. Maybe it goes Zaka Coyle Smith, and then you have the option to throw Frederick on the fourth line or Frederick's the odd man out. I think up front, if there, especially if there is a young guy, whether it's McLaughlin or whoever who's pushing into a role, I think that's when we have the, are you going to send down Felino and bury his contract like they did with Wagner last year? And that's, it's a crappy situation. Like on a human level, no one really wants to, like I guarantee you Don Sweeney did not want to have that conversation with Chris Wagner last year. And if they do it again this year, he won't want to. And if it's Felino, like no one wants to tell like a respected veteran like that, that we're sending you know, first we're putting you on waivers and you're going to clear because no one's going to take on your contract. And then we're sending you to the minors. Like, it's a crappy situation, but I could see, like, that's where it might be time to have that conversation is when Marshan comes back and everyone gets pushed down. Um, if Felino hasn't done enough to, like, really earn a job at that point, that might be what you're doing. Frederick, I don't think they'd want to because he would also have to clear waivers and I think he would get claimed. Like, even... If, even if he's struggling, he's still young enough that, like, someone's gone. Because even teams that, like, never saw him as a first-round pick, they almost certainly saw him as a second or third round. Like, they saw something there. So someone would take a chance and then be, like, maybe a change of scenery, you know, and the Bruins wouldn't want to lose him for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, on defense, that's where it gets much tougher for me because it's it's eight guys under NHL contracts once Grizzly and McAvoy are back. It's entirely possible they just keep all eight, um, but there's obviously cap implications there of, like, you're already a team at the cap. Do you have the cap space to keep eight guys on NHL deals? You know, usually in that situation, one of the eight might be on, you know, something a little cheaper. Um, If someone has to go, 
as much as like I, I just talked to Mike Riley, if he hasn't really run with a job at that point, I do still think he, like, he's probably the most likely trade candidate. But that that might not hold. If he's playing well, mm-hmm. they're they're not going to want to trade someone who can help them win. So maybe it is. Maybe it would be see what's out there for a Forbert or Clifton. Like maybe it becomes one of those guys moving. Um, you know. Jakob Zaboral, I don't think would get through waivers. Someone would acclaim him. So you're kind of in the same situation of like, you know, I, I don't, there's no one that's on defense that I think would clear waivers. So it's, you're, you're looking to make a trade. And I could see that being, you know, again, like Riley, I think has some value, especially in the last year of his deal. Like there would be takers out there. Um, cert, definitely the same with Grizzly. If they, even would even consider that, but you know, I don't know like what forward or Clifton's value would be. I know, I know someone would claim them if you ever tried sending them down, but is there any sort of trade market? Like, is there anything there? And forward has the bigger contracts. So if you're talking about freeing up cap space, you know, I wonder if like that would become an option. Mm. What about somebody like Nosek? Does he have a no move? Um. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, so I think, but I think we all probably agree though that they're probably going to wait till the the final hour to to do something, right? Like with the injuries that they are they have going into the year, they're not they're going to want all hands on deck, and then they'll probably cross that bridge when they get to it, right? When they're when they have to do it, probably. Yeah, no sec doesn't have any sort of protection. I mean, and what's he, what's he making against the cap? Like two nine or something like that? Two 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 something? Two five? Uh, no, one point seven five. Oh, all right. Well, he, never mind. I mean, it would still you know it would help a little bit, but it's not okay. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how it's gonna play out. I really don't. Um, hopefully Don does. That's why he's getting paid the big bucks. So we'll see. He's still got to figure out the Pasternak thing first. Before. <laughs> like that's still the that's the elephant in the room that we haven't touched this entire episode because we just don't have an update. But like, yeah, um, that's the main concern. It's not like do you trade forward or Riley? It's like can you just sign David yeah. Pasternak? Don't have the updates. Don't have the energy. Don't have the temperament right now to go into that. Um, and as far as I know, is Pasternak back in the United States? I don't think he is. And that's kind of when the timeline was for, you know, we're going to get serious and, and get in the room. He and, and might be. I think I yeah, saw something with Bauer. He might be. Even if he last is. I saw on his Instagram, he was in the Czech Republic. So, yeah, even if he is, though, I think this is like you're they're still on vacation. I, I imagine those conversations start when everyone reports with training camp or I should not start those in-person conversations, discussions, negotiations happen whenever everyone reports for training camp. And it's, all right, like now he's in the building. Now it's not, you know, like coming in while you're on vacation or anything. So I I think at this point, it's like you didn't get anything done, you know, right when you could start talking to him. It didn't happen over the next month. Like, honestly, like what's another two weeks like you know what i mean they're they'll they'll talk in person then and i just i would be surprised pleasantly surprised if we hear something before then but my guess is like that last week or two of september is when you know there'll be actual like real negotiations 
yeah, and I'm the Bruins are going to do everything that they can to to get it done. Like they're not going to cheapen out. They're not going to you know. It's just honestly, it's it's kind of out of their it's it's not out of their hands. They have to they have to they have to make the offers and, and they have to do the right thing. But um, Pashnak's actually they're going to want to stay here or he's not. And it's you know it's not going to come down because it, to the Bruins not being willing to pay him. Uh, it'll be because of things we've talked about in you know previous episodes and um so we'll see how yeah plays which out. is you know the direction of the team can they be a winning team once Bergeron yeah. and Krejci leave if, if they can convince him of that they have you know that's which, that's really what they got to do which is all fair it's all fair and you know one of the prospects that uh you know Don Sweeney could have pointed to is now off the table right JT Miller resigned an extension in Vancouver for seven years whatever so I mean you know he's locked up there presumably for the next like I said, seven years. So it's just one less option that Don can point to, one less fish in the open market eventually that they could have perhaps gotten. So, but look, it's it's uh, it remains to be seen. But I think that I I do think he's going to resign in Boston. I just hope that uh, it happens soon. Was there anything else you guys had to touch on before we uh we go? I don't think no. So. I I had mentioned. I'll just very briefly touch on it. Uh, this ranking that we didn't talk about this last week, it came out um, about a week ago at this point. Uh, Corey Promen of The Athletic did um, ranking the best NHL players and prospects under age 23. So not just prospects, but also guys currently in the NHL. It's just the best hockey players in the world under the age of 23. And uh, Bruins fans kind of pounced all over this because – it's a list of 170 players. There is only one Bruin on it, and it is Fabian Lysel at number 170, the very last person on the list. Um, I guess, like, my take on this would just be, like, one, it shows something we already know, which is that the Bruins don't have many real blue-chip young players and prospects that some other teams do. We already knew that. The second thing I would say is, like, it's not worth getting worked up about, like, Lysel should be 50 spots higher or Mason Laura should be on here. Both of which I think could be totally fair arguments. Um, I think Corey Promen, like, even in in an honest moment, would probably tell you that, like, once you get past maybe 50 or so on the on a list like this, everyone's pretty The order doesn't necessarily like, matter, yeah. Like from 70 to like, forget 170, but to like 270, it's like, how much of a difference is there? Like, you're, it's all projection and everyone's all bunched together. They've probably all had really strong junior seasons. They've, they all have question marks. Like, there's no perfect 22, 20, 18 year old once you get past like that really top group of the elite guys. So, yeah, Lysel could easily be like 70 spots higher. Laura could easily be on this list. Like it's not that part of it isn't worth getting worked up about. The mm-hmm. not having like a blue chip prospect that's in the top 50, like again, that's we already knew that. Fabian Lysel looks like a, a really promising prospect, but he he was the 20th overall pick. Like it's not he wasn't a top five pick. They don't have anyone who was. So, you know, you weren't expecting to see someone ranked up there with like a Yuri Slavkovsky or Shane Wright, like you, you don't have those, those players in your system. I mean, it's it. Yeah, I mean, look at look at somebody like 
like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, you know, these guys, they're the backbones of your franchise and are some of the best players in the world at what at their respective positions, and they never would have been on, you know, <laughs> these lists back in their days, right? No. <laughs> so it's just – and they're just two examples. I mean, half of half of the stars on Tampa Bay, again, same thing. Like, nobody knew who Nikita Kucherov was until they knew who Nikita Kucherov was on Tampa Bay. Like, so it's not it's, – it's, and there are plenty of players that are highly touted, and they, they end up being – nothing like they're like they were promised to be or, or projected to be so when it comes to Fabian Lysel I think it's easy to sometimes because there is um there isn't much in the cupboard like when there is a little something we, we, we tend to glorify it and you know his GM came out last year in Vancouver and compared his skating to like a blend of you know Burray and, and McDavid it was just like so we have high hopes for the kid but like I think we understand it's a lot more likely Fabian Lysel ends up being like a you know fifty point guy than a hundred twenty point guy. I mean he could he could be a twenty twenty goal thirty five assist guy and that would be that would be very welcomed. You know I think we're all hoping he's he's closer to a seventy to seventy to like eighty five point you know per year guy. We'll see how it plays out. Maybe better, maybe worse. But uh, I don't put too much stock into these uh, into these rankings and by put too much stock into I mean none at all um I Scott asked us before if we had read it I didn't read it I did see the headlines I think somebody quote tweeted it and said where Lysel was um but I could read 170 names I'll only know you know 15 of them maybe <laughs> so it doesn't really do me very well so um but it's good it's good for like it's good for banter like this and just you know to see how other people you know subjectively see Lysel stacking up against other people his age I think it's interesting um but I think that he's definitely – I think he's better than what this list is projecting him to be. Yeah, and I think Scott Wheeler of The Athletic – so him and Promen are like The Athletic's two big prospects guys and draft guys. And Wheeler did his top 50 prospects, so, you know, guys not in the NHL, earlier this summer. And I think Lysel was like 37th or something. Like he was somewhere around there. And it's like – Then how does he go to – one seventy. Well, Did he many, get worse? Well, how many guys are? How many guys in the NHL are under twenty three? Not so they're, they're, not that many. Not over a hundred. No, but uh, you'd be AHL, surprised that there's a lot on this list who have already played NHL games. They'll they'll just over a hundred. AHL. Uh, if somebody's no, in, probably not not over a hundred. But I would I would because it would have to be know. like a if somebody's in a pro league. If somebody's in the NHL or the AHL, they'll probably give them the nod because. They're they're within his age bracket, but they're playing at a higher level right now. So they're probably just automatically giving those people their their spots. I don't know. Yeah, and I, and I think Promen's also generally been lower on Lysel than Wheeler. So like that's also another that also accounts for like the discrepancy and where each of them would rank him. Um, no, I always I always forget, but we had we had a guest on that was very high on Lysel before Chris the Bruins Peters. drafted him, Chris Peters. Yeah. Um, he was very high on Lysel. It'd be interesting to see how, you know, to just get an update from maybe him or, or where, where he yeah. sees him now. But Well, he said, he, I think he said something along the lines of that he thought Lysel was the most skilled. Well, we had him on before they drafted him, right? Before yeah. the draft, and, before and he said that that could be someone that fell to them, but that he thinks should the, ha- should go higher than where but, where the Bruins were drafting, and he did end up falling. But what I think, but what I think he specifically said was that he thought Lysel was 
the most talented uh, person on the board or had the most skill, but that he was going to fall. It was something specific like yeah. that, you know what I mean? And it was before yeah. they drafted him, so that was good, that was good ups to him to give us that that you know warning shot. But that's pretty high praise from somebody who is constantly covering prospects and whatnot. And and he's looked good in everything he's you know he's looked good every step of the way. So he looked good last year in the, in the rookie camps. He looked good um, in preseason last year in, in his one or two games. He looked good, obviously all year in Vancouver. And, you know, I think he was like a point per game in World Juniors this summer. So um, every step of the way, he's kind of showed up. And he actually, he had an interview recently, too. Evan Marinovsky, right? Yes. With Evan. I know he did one with Evan. Yeah, 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 he did with, yes. And he talked about, yeah, exactly, Evan Marinovsky. And Evan asked him, uh, um, you know, if he, if he sees himself in the NHL this year. And he was very confident. Um, kind of even had a, 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 a laugh because, you know, he kind of sounded cocky. But that, that's how he feels. And that's how you want somebody that uh to feel that way if, if they're when they're going into training camp you know what i mean so i don't know if there was anything from that so you, you so you saw it scott i don't know if there's anything that jumped out at you from that interview but that certainly did to me yeah and we've kind of heard heard that from him before like he you know it's not it's not arrogance it's not even really cockiness but you're right like there's like a little bit of an edge where it's like he it's clearly like very confident in himself and 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 just has high expectations for himself and yeah, that that is what you want. Like you know, you don't want you know a first round pick, a kid that talented, being like, oh, like, I don't really think I'm ready for the NHL. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you wouldn't want to hear that. Like, of course, like you want him to feel like he's ready, and uh, you know, he's he's gonna get a chance chance to show it. Will yeah. But to circle like always back to the beginning of this podcast, like that's you know one of the things I'm gonna be most inter- interested in seeing is like. We know he's going to get a chance. He's going to be at training camp. He's going to play in preseason games. But I'm interested in, like, is it in the role where it's like, okay, you're playing with the other rookies and this is, like, the quote-unquote, like, fifth line? Or, like, does he actually get looks on with Bergeron, with Krejci, or even, like, on a third line um, where it's like – because once you get that, that that's the tip off that like, the coach – at least had has it in his mind that this is a possibility. Like yeah. that's it's something he's at least considering. I think it, and I think it is. I think when he talked, when we had him on WEI with Grush and Keith for the Jimmy Fund, um, he said as much. And I think he wants to promote that competition. At least let him, you know, feel like it. And he did allude to maybe throwing him with Bergeron. I personally would be disappointed if at no point we see him next to Bergeron in the preseason. I think it's a good gauge to see what what he's capable of, um, but yeah. So you should, if you for those listening, if you haven't seen it, you should you should go watch that interview that Evan Evan did with him. He also did one with Mason Lori, but I, I was laughing because he asked him. He was, I think he just asked him. He was like, "Do you see? Do you, do you, do you think that you're ready for for the step to the NHL, the step up to the NHL hockey?" And he was just like, uh, "Yeah." It was just like it was just, and he, he started to smile because like he knew how it came across. But again, like I said, that's what you want to hear. So, a um, couple more weeks, and we get to see see him, you know, play for a job in the NHL. Um, so that should be good. With that, I'm I'm good, guys. If you're all set, I think we can let everybody uh, all good go back to their regular yeah. programming. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys soon. Mm-hmm.